Amen. All right, well, you're there in uh, Genesis chapter number 26. And uh, for those of you, you, you may have noticed uh, on Sunday nights, we are in a series uh, going through the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob called, uh, the series called The Patriarchs. We're going, uh, studying the lives of, of these men. And uh, this week, I was studying uh, this chapter for the Sunday night sermon, the series for Sunday night, and I, I just felt so... Uh, like this idea that's found in, in the beginning of this chapter was so important that I thought I, I, I wanted to uh, preach it in the morning service. And, and tonight we will continue in the Patriarch series and we'll actually deal with the last part of Genesis 26. But uh, this sermon is kind of a part of the Patriarch series, a part of the Sunday night series, but on Sunday morning, just because I thought it was an important uh, 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 sermon. Also, some of you don't come back on Sunday night and I thought it might be good to kind of show you uh, how we study the Bible on the evening services, how we go through books and study things out. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of preparing our children uh, for the future, the future generation. I, I want to say this, because sometimes when I say a statement like that, all of the parents, you know, I want you to kind of uh, open up your ears and be ready to take notes. And some of you may think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. But let me say this. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have any children. But one day you will have children, and this is a type of sermon. Lord willing, God might bless you with a spouse, or God might bless you with children, and this is the type of sermon that you'll need to uh, listen up for and be ready for. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, well, my children are already grown, but you're a grandparent. The, this, this idea that we'll be talking about this morning applies to grandparents. Maybe you're here and you'll say, well, none of those apply to me. But, you know, you're leading someone, and even my children are looking up to some of you here, and you may or may not know it, and there are children all over this congregation that are looking up to adults and different people, and, and this applies. And, and it's a leadership principle. Uh, we're going to see it here in the lives of a father and a child, but it applies at work. It applies in any, leading your wife or leading employees, whatever it may be. I want to speak to you. On this subject, I want you to notice several things here. We're jumping right into the life of Isaac, and, and of course, Abraham has already died. Look down at Genesis 26. Look down at verse number 1. I want you to notice what the Bible says. And there was a famine in the land. Now, this is during the time of Isaac, but I want you to understand this. Our children will likely face the same things that we do. Our children, the future generation, those uh, kids that you have in that car seat or you have in that booster seat or you have teenagers you have that uh, you're teaching them to drive or whatever it might be, they will likely face the same troubles and the same uh, obstacles that you and I face. Here the Bible tells us in Genesis 26.1 that there was a famine in the land. We're, we're, we're getting into the life of Isaac and really starting to see Isaac as, as an adult. We saw the life of Isaac in Genesis 24 when he was a child, when he was following Abraham and he was, uh, and Abraham had to, uh, was tested of God and tempted of God to see if he would sacrifice him. But here we see uh, Isaac as a grown man and there is a famine in the land uh, the Bible tells us this is during the time of Isaac, but notice what the verse says. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. See, in the time of Abraham, there was a famine, and Abraham had to deal with that famine. But then in the time of Isaac, there was a famine. You're there in Genesis 26. Keep your place there. Just uh, turn back a couple of chapters over to Genesis chapter 12, and let's look real quickly at that famine in Genesis chapter 12 that it's referring to. Because Genesis 26, 1 says there was a famine in the land, Beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Genesis chapter number 12. Look at verse number 10. Genesis chapter number 12. And look at verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. And there was a famine in the land. It's interesting because Genesis 26.1 says, And there was a famine 
in the land. And then Genesis 12.10 says, and there was a famine in the land. This is the first famine that is being referred to. And I want you to notice there that our children, your children and my children, will likely face the same obstacles that you and I face today. You say, I'm facing a famine. Maybe financially you're in a famine and you've got issues that you have to deal with. I want you to understand that your children will likely feel what the, deal with those same famines. Whatever, it, maybe it's not financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's not relational. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's not health. Maybe it's just the culture and the society in which we live. I just want you to understand, whatever battles, whatever obstacles, whatever issues you and I deal with today as, as adults, our children, those little kids that are following us, will likely deal with the exact same obstacles. See, Abraham dealt with a famine in his day, and then years later, Isaac deals with a famine as well. I want you to notice there in Genesis 12, look at verse 10. Not only will our children likely face the same obstacles that we face, but our children will likely face the same temptations that we face. Notice, notice verse 10 again. And there was a famine in the land. Now notice, here's, here's, the, here's the temptation. And Abraham went down into Egypt. See, Abraham was faced with a famine, and there was a temptation for him to go down to Egypt uh, to, to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. See, there was a temptation for him to get out of the area that God wanted him, to get out of the will of God, if you will, and to go down and to find uh, refuge and to find help with the world. See, Egypt represents the world in the Bible. And here we see that there was a famine, Abraham was tempted, he had a trouble, and he was tempted to go down to Egypt. And then, of course, we see, go back to Genesis 26, look down at verse number 2. Not only did Isaac face the same obstacle, but Isaac faced the same temptation. Abraham goes down to Egypt. So notice, when there's a famine in the land in Genesis 26, 1, and verse 2, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto him, who's the him there? That's Isaac, and said, Go not down into Egypt. Notice, why did God say that to Isaac? Because Isaac dealt with the same temptation. When the famine came for Isaac, he had the same inclination. He had the same temptation. He had the same thought. Maybe I should go down into Egypt. And here's what I want you to understand. Our children will likely face the exact same things that you and I are facing right now. You say, I'm facing a famine. They will face famine. I, I've got a temptation to go down to Egypt. They will face similar temptations. Not only that, but if you look, that, look back at verse number 1, same chapter, Genesis 26, notice what it says. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac, I want you to notice this, make note of this, just in your mind. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. I want you to remember those names, Abimelech, Philistines, Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land, which I will tell thee of. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with thee. And we'll bless thee. And by the way, if God is with you, he can bless you no matter what the economy looks like. If God is with you, he can bless you no matter what famine you're going to. God said, don't worry about the famine. Don't listen to the news report. Don't, don't worry about that. He said, I will be with thee. I will bless thee for unto thee and unto thy seed. And I will give all these countries. Then I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my law. And my law. Notice verse number uh, 6. And Isaac dwelt in, does that sound familiar? Gerar. I want you to notice, I want you to notice the, the, the familiarity. He goes to Gerar with Abimelech. Go back to Genesis 20. Look at verse 1. In Genesis 20 and verse 1. And Abraham, Genesis chapter 20 and verse 1. And Abraham 
journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. So what does that have to do with anything? Here's the thing. Abraham had to deal with the Philistines in Gerar. And so did Isaac. You and I, we have to deal with certain cultural things right now. We have to deal with certain, certain battles we're fighting right now. But I want you to understand, our children will fight the same battles. Our children will deal with the same obstacles. Our children will deal with the same temptations. And what's interesting about this passage, if you can keep your place there in Genesis chapter 20, not only will our children deal with the same things that you and I deal with today, but our children will likely respond in the same way that you and I do today. Are you there in Genesis 20? Look down at verse 2. Abraham goes down to Gerar, and notice what he does in Gerar. Verse 2, And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now Abraham gets this idea. He says, We're going to go down to the Philistines, and you're a beautiful uh, lady, and they're going to kill me for your sake. So instead of telling people we're married, let's tell them that you are my sister. Now I want you to notice there in Genesis 20. Look at verse 2. She is my sister. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 11. In chapter 20 with the Philistines was not the first time Abraham had done this. This is a pattern with Abraham. This is a behavior he has. Genesis chapter 12, look at verse number 11. And by the way, it's, this behavior is rooted in fear. And mo oftentimes our sins are rooted in fear. One of the commandments that, God, that Jesus gave over and over to the disciples is fear not, fear not, fear not. And, it's, and you say, what's the problem with fear? Fear is rooted in a lack of faith. And an inability to trust a God who says he will take care of you. And here Abraham says, God can't protect us with the Philistines. God can't help us with the Philistines. Let's take matters into our own hands and let's lie and say that you are my sister. But notice, it wasn't the first time. Go back to Genesis 12. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, and that's because of the famine, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon, Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Notice verse 13. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So Abraham got into this pattern. He goes down to Egypt. He says, she's my sister. He goes to the Philistines. He says, she's my sister. And in, in, and in those passages, he even explains when he gets caught and the kings are asking him for an explanation, he says that he made an agreement with Sarah that whenever they would go anywhere, so it's not just the Philistines, it's not just Egypt, whenever they would go anywhere, that the favor that she would do to him is that they would just tell people, we're not married, this is, we're just related. This is just my sister. I'm just taking care of her. I want you to notice how... Uh, how Isaac responds in the same trouble, in the same temptation, in the same obstacle. Genesis 26, look at verse 7. Genesis 26 and verse 7. Genesis 26 and verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. This is Isaac. And the men of the place asked him of his wife, because remember he goes down to Gerar, same place that Abraham went. And he said, notice what he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, she is my wife. Lest, said he, the man of the place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. Here's what I want you to understand. Number one, our children will likely face the same things we do. They will deal with the same obstacles. They will deal with the same temptations. They will deal with the same culture that you and I have to deal with today. Number two, our children will likely respond. 
our children will likely respond the same way that you and I respond. See, Isaac ends up responding like his father. He ends up acting like his father. He ends up lying like his father. He ends up lacking faith the same way that his father did. He ends up doing the same things that, that, uh, that uh, Abraham did. You said, well, why is that? In, in the Bible, there is this idea, and there's so many verses that I could look at that I, I just couldn't look at. You know, we can't go through in one morning. Uh, but in the Bible, there is this idea that often children will end up acting like their parents or picking up the behaviors of their parents. Let me just give you a couple of things to consider. You're there in Genesis. Flip one book over. Now keep your place in Genesis 26. That's our text for this morning. But go to Exodus chapter number 34. The, sermon's not very, uh, uh, the sermon is one really point this morning. All of this is kind of just introduction and, and background. But let me just show you a couple of things, and we won't be very long this morning. Exodus 34, look at verse 6. Exodus 34 and verse 6. You're there in Genesis, one book over. Exodus 34, look at verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. Exodus 34 and verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. The, he's, they're proclaiming, he's proclaiming the goodness of God. Okay, these are the good attributes of God. Notice verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now up to that point in that list, all of those things sound great. And I've always read this passage and, and kind of scratched my head, uh, not lately, but I, I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I, I would read this and i say, well, all of that sounds good. He's merciful and gracious. He's long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And I thought, that all sounds great. But then he says this, and that will by no means clear the guilty. I thought, okay, well, that's good too. If you're guilty, he's not going to clear you. He'll forgive you if you want to be forgiven. He'll forgive you if, if, if you come to him in confession. But if you're guilty, he will no more clear the guilty. That sounded good to me. Then he says this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. And I used to think to myself, well, that's not fair. What's that about? You're going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children? And upon the children's children, upon the third and fourth generation, I thought, well, God, you know, uh, so, uh, so I mess up and you're going to uh, punish my children as a result. I mess up and you're going to punish my grandchildren as well. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound real fair. Now, here's what I didn't do, which is what a lot of people do, is when they find the passage of Scripture that they don't really understand, they just kind of get mad at God and give up and say, well, that must be all wrong. I just thought, well, Lord, you're going to have to help me understand this because it doesn't make sense to me. But I kept reading. And I read on. Then I found a verse like this, Deuteronomy 24. Would you go there? You're there in Exodus. Go past Exodus to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 24, look at verse 16. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16, the Bible says this. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children. I said, well, that sounds fair. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. And I thought, well, that sounds fair. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. I thought, well, that, that, that makes sense to me. And I said, well, wait a minute, God. In Exodus 34, you said you'd visit. One of your attributes, one of your, 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 your things that you were boasting about is that you would visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. But here you're telling us that neither shall a child be put to death or punished because of the sins of their father. Neither shall a father be put to death or punished because of the sins of their, uh, of their, of their child. He's, and you said every man should be put to death for his own sin. Then I found this verse. Go to the book of Ezekiel with me. Ezekiel chapter 18. Towards the end of the Old Testament, you have those big major prophets, those big 
books of the prophets, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18. Look at verse number 19. Ezekiel chapter number 18 and verse number 19. I know this might be more of a Bible study, but this is what we normally do on Sunday nights. It's more of a Bible study. It's just we're doing it on a Sunday morning. Ezekiel chapter number 18. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Look at verse number 19. Ye say, yet say ye why? Ezekiel 18, 19. Yet say ye why? Doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? She says, why does the Son not bear the iniquity of the Father? Now, here's the answer. When the Son hath done that, which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, shall he shall surely live. So I want you to understand what's going on here. He's saying, I will not punish the Son for the iniquity of the fathers when the fathers sin, when the fathers do wrong, but the Son hath done that which is lawful and right. When the Son changes and does differently than the Father, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. Notice verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father. Neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. That, that, that goes well with what we just read in Deuteronomy. But you say, well, there's still that issue in Exodus where he says that he'll visit the iniquity of fathers upon the children. What's that about? And here's what you need to understand. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 16. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament. In the Bible, you find this principle. In the Bible, you find this idea. Because here's what he says. The Bible says that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. The Bible also says that the children should not be punished for the sins of their fathers. But the Bible lays this idea, and I don't have time to develop it. You're just going to have to study it out on your own. But the Bible lays this idea that oftentimes, oftentimes, it is very likely that the children will commit the sins of the fathers. So see, when he says that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, it's not some sort, I've heard people say, that's like a, a curse upon the entire family. I, I don't believe that. I don't think God punishes children for their parents. And in fact, in Ezekiel 18, he says if the kids do right, if the kids repent, if the kids don't do the things that the father did, he, he says they'll live. I'll forgive them. But you say, well, then why will he visit the iniquity? Because often, and listen to me, mom, and listen to me, dad, often your children are more likely to pick up your habits and your behaviors, and it is often that the children will do the same sins of their fathers. Which is why Isaac, in the same temptation, in the same trouble, in the same obstacle, with the same uh, culture, responded the exact same way that Abraham did. And you find this all throughout the Bible. I, I was tempted to go through the entire book of First and Second Kings this morning and just show you how time after time the Bible says that a king would rise up and he would do evil in the eyes of the Lord and then his children would walk in the ways of their father or would do the things. And, and over and over you will find this idea where will say, well, God had to punish them because they walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, because they walked in the ways of their father, because they kept doing that, which was, a, 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 which was what their fathers did. You also find this in the positive light. You're, are you there in Acts chapter 16, look at verse 30. Acts chapter 16 is that famous story of the Philippian jailer. Remember the Philippian jailer? Paul and Silas are in the prison. They're singing 
praises to God. They're not, they're not uh, uh, embarrassed. They're not ashamed. They're not discouraged. They're singing praises to God. There's a big earthquake. All the doors open. All the prisoners are able to get out. Uh, the, the, the Philippian jailer thinks they got out. He's getting ready to commit suicide and kill himself because he knows that the punishment of letting prisoners go would be the death penalty. And Paul says, do thyself no hurt. He said, we're all still here. And, and it was really a miracle of God. The testimony of Paul and Silas in that prison that kept those other prisoners from from uh, from escaping when they had the opportunity. Acts 16, look at verse 30. And brought them out. This is the Philippian jailer. He brings them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look at verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now we love that verse. That's a great verse. That's a great, that, and by the way, that's what salvation is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Notice he doesn't say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, and thou shalt be saved. Notice he doesn't say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get baptized and thou shalt be saved. No, he doesn't say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and go to church. He doesn't say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have, go to the confessional booth. He doesn't say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and quit drinking. He didn't say any of that. He just said, they, he, the question is that, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Here's the phrase that caused me to have some questions when I first started reading the Bible. And thy house. And you say, well, if the dad gets saved, does the whole family get saved? Well, we know that's not true. Every person has to make a decision for salvation on their own. The Bible says that we will all stand before God. So, well, well why would they say in thy house? Because Paul understood this, that children are likely to do what their parents do. And if dad gets saved, there's a huge, there's an immense possibility that his wife and his children will follow. When dad rejects the gospel... Likely, those children will reject the gospel. You, that's why people say, well, what about these countries like Iraq? What about these countries like Afghanistan? What about these other countries where they reject the gospel? Is it those people's fault? It's not their fault. But here's what happens. When a missionary shows up, when someone with the gospel shows up, when someone with the Bible shows up with the good news of Jesus Christ, and dad says, and mom says, or the leaders of that government say, no, we will not accept it. No, we will not allow it. No, we will not uh, uh, allow the gospel to come into this area. Often what they've done is they basically doomed and damned their entire Entire generations following them to hell, not because those children don't get a choice, not because some of them couldn't get saved, but it is very likely that the children will take after the patterns and behaviors of their parents. This is just, this is just a, a, a fact. I mean, even our society, there, I was reading, a, 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 there, there was a, a research study done by the Washington University that said children whose parents smoke are twice as likely to begin smoking between the ages of 13 and 21. There's all sorts of studies, I don't have them here, but all sorts of studies, I've read them in Father's Day and things like that, where children who have a parent who's in prison are like five times more likely to go to prison themselves. You say, why is that? For children that have parents who drink alcohol, the percentage goes way high of them becoming alcoholics. Children who have parents who do drugs, their percentage goes way high. Of their, I mean, whatever it might be, children whose parents go to college have a much likely uh, percentage of going to college themselves. You say, well, it, it, why is that? Because some people have a gene that makes it. No, look, it's because children will often follow in the patterns and behaviors of their parents. Children that are raised by parents that are overweight, statistically proven, they're at more likely percentage of, I'm not joking, it's not a joke, I'm not making fun of me, I'm just saying it's true. 
You say, is that because, of, because there's some sort of a fat gene? No, it's because those children grow up in the same environment, end up having the same eating habits and health habits of their parents. You know, mom and dad don't uh, eat fruits and vegetables. Par the kids aren't going to eat fruits and vegetables. Mom and dad are couch potatoes. The kids are going to be couch potatoes. It's just, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm saying it's the truth. The truth is this. Our children are likely to follow in the behaviors and the patterns of, our, uh, of their parents. Our children will likely develop the same behaviors that we, de de that we develop. It's just the truth. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, go, go, go to Acts. You're, you're there in Acts 16. Go back to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. You say, why, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because your children will deal with the same obstacles that you and I deal with. Here's why it matters. Because your children will deal with the same obstacles. Your children will deal with the same troubles. Your children will deal with the same temptations. And your children are likely to respond the same way that you respond right now. See, they're watching you. See, they're watching you. And here's what I want you to understand. There's, I used to have a youth pastor who would, who would say this. He would say, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your talk talks louder than your walk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And it's true. You can, you can tell, you know, and you can, you can sit there and smoke. Now listen, Billy. Don't, don't grow up and smoke. It's not, <laughs> it's not good. But listen, your children are probably going to grow up and smoke. Why? Because your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. See, what you showed them will make a greater impact than what you told them. If you're a parent, you ought to write that down. What you showed them will make a greater impact than what you told them. You can tell them. You can tell them, live for God. You can tell them, do right. You can tell them, don't lie. You can tell them, walk with integrity. You can tell them, read your Bible. You can tell them, pray. You can tell them, love God. You can tell them whatever you want. But what you showed them will make a greater impact than what you told them. And see, Isaac grew up seeing a dad. And, and here's the thing. The funny thing about the story is that Isaac wasn't even alive when Abraham went down to Egypt and lied. Isaac wasn't even alive when Abraham went down to it. That, that happened in chapters 12 and chapter 20. Isaac wasn't born until chapter 23, later on, 22, 23. You say, well, what happened? Here's what happened. First of all, like we said before, it was an agreement that Sarah and Abraham had. And, of course, the book of Genesis doesn't have every little thing that happened in all their lives. So he might have actually seen them do this in other places. But even if he never actually saw them do it. Isaac picked up the same behavior. Isaac picked up the same way of thinking. Isaac got to think like his dad and in the same temptation, in the same obstacle, with the same trouble, he responded in the exact same way. Because what you showed them, because what you showed them will make a greater impact than what you told them. So here's the question I have for you, Mom, and here's the question I have for you, Dad. What are you showing them? What are you showing them? See, when a financial famine comes in and your children see you get stressed out and your children see you be on a short fuse and your children see mom and dad arguing about money, you know what you will raise? You will raise children who are programmed to think when things aren't going well financially, this is how we respond. See, I have to make sure, my wife has to make sure, if I want to have boys that grow up to love their wives, to respect their wives, to be good to their wives, they need to make sure that they see a dad who loves his wife, who respects his wife, who's good to his wife. Some of you moms are going to grow up, some raise some daughters, 
They're going to be ornery and loud and obnoxious and disrespectful, and all they're doing is going to imitate what they saw at home. You want to know why, you know, I'm a 30-year-old man and I stand up here every week and preach the fundamentals of the faith and we preach the King James Bible and we preach hard against sin and we sing the old hymns and we're not letting up? You want to know why I go soul winning as a 30-year-old man? Let me explain to you why. Because I went as a 7-year-old and as an 8-year-old and as a 9-year-old. You want to know why I get up, my wife and I, we get up and we read our Bibles every day? You know why? Because I remember waking up as a child and seeing my dad read the Bible in the kitchen. I remember, you want to know why we take time in the evenings to sit down and open the Bible and read to our children and talk with our children and have family Bible time with our children. You want to know why? Because I remember having family Bible time as a kid. I, I'm just telling you what you show them will make a greater impact will make a greater impact than what you told them. You want to have children that love the Lord? You better start loving the Lord. You want to have children that have integrity? You better start walking with integrity. You want to have children that don't lie? You better make sure you're not lying. You want to have children that read the Bible? You better make sure you read the Bible. You want to have children that pray? You better make sure they see you praying. You want, it, listen to me. You're, are you there in Acts chapter 1? Look at verse 1. Note, and by the way, this is a leadership principle. Whether you're a parent or not, good leadership falls under this idea. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of, that, of all that, notice, notice, of all that Jesus began to, notice, do and teach. Notice, he didn't just teach. And he didn't just do. He did what he taught. He began both to do and to teach. Last Sunday night, when my Bible got stolen, <laughs> Brother Oliver preached a, a great sermon here about, you know, uh, about getting involved in things of God. And it's interesting because you will find, you know what you'll find, and I'm not mocking what we do. I, I have a soul wing seminar. I teach our people to knock on doors and ask the question, you know, do you know for sure if you died today on your, on your way to heaven? I think that's probably the, one of the best ways to be able to approach our culture and our society with the gospel, approach an unbeliever with the gospel. But you know, in the Bible, you'll never find Jesus asking anybody, do you know for sure if you died today? Are you on your way to heaven? But you know what you will find him saying? Follow me. Come and see. He says, let me, let me show you. Let me show you. He said, I'll, I'll tell you too, but let me show you. Because listen to me, the greatest impact will be in what you showed them. Not what you told them. Whatever you are showing your children, they are likely to repeat and listen to me, I don't want to grow up and have children who live for God. I want to make sure they live for God because of the influence that my wife and I, had, and I had on them, not in spite of the influence that my wife and I had on them. See, what you showed them will, be, will make a greater impact than what you told them. You say, well, okay, I understand that. I get that. That makes sense. But what's really the motivation? Here's the motivation. Go back to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. If you and I don't learn how to break that cycle, if you and I don't learn how to teach a behavior and a pattern that's different than what we are showing our children right now, not only will our children likely face the same things that we do, the same obstacles, the same temptations, the same culture, not only will our children likely respond in the same way that we do, not only will our children likely develop the same habits and behaviors that you and I develop, but our children are likely to suffer the same consequences that we suffer. 
our children are likely to suffer the same consequences that we suffer. Notice what happens to Isaac. He gets in trouble. Genesis 26, verse 8. And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting. That word sporting is translated in our King James Bible in other places. The same word is translated as laughed or laugh or mocked or mocking, mocked to play. He's laughing with his wife. He's uh, joking with his wife. He's, you know, just playing around with her. They must have been laughing about something. He might be uh, uh, making fun of her or something, you know, uh, the way that couples do. Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife, verse 9, and Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. He said, You just don't flirt like that with your sister. He's like, that's not your sister. Of a shirt, he said, I'm sure she is thy wife. And how saidest thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast? I want you to look, look at this phrase. What is this that, ha, that thou hast done unto us? He said, What have you done unto us? One of the people might have lightly lined with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought uh, guiltiness upon us. Now, here's what's interesting. Go back to Genesis 20. Look at verse 9. When Abraham gets caught in the same lie by the same culture, notice what is said to Abraham. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 9. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 9. And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him. And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him. This is in Gerar. Notice what Abimelech says to Abraham. What hast thou done unto us? Do you see that? It's interesting as you study these chapters, the same phrases are being used. There was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. What is thou done unto us? What is thou done unto us? She is my sister. She is my sister. Why does God do that? I think God's trying to highlight something for us that the same way that you and I respond to the famines and the troubles and the obstacles in our life right now will be a similar way. Will be a similar way that your children do the same. See, the king of Gerar said to Abraham, What is thou done unto us? And the king of Gerar said to Isaac, what is thou done unto us? Go back to Genesis 12, look at verse 18. Genesis 12, verse 18. Genesis 12, verse 18. Notice what Pharaoh said to Abraham in the same situation. Genesis 12, verse 18. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, now this is in Egypt. What is this that thou hast, notice the similarity, done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife? See, the pro you say, well, what, what, what's the problem? Here's the problem. If we don't break the cycle, our children, not only will they respond the same way you and I respond, they will suffer the same consequences we suffer. You don't, you don't have to answer this out loud, and you don't have to say this to anybody, but I want you to right now in your, in your mind think of the consequences that you've suffered in your life. The biggest mistakes you've made the biggest problems you've made, the things in your life that if you go, go back, if God gave you one wish and God said, I, I will let you go back and undo this one thing, what is that one thing that you would undo? Because all of us in our life have things that we're embarrassed about. All of us in our lives have things that we're ashamed about. All of us have consequences that have hurt us, that we deal with, that maybe we're still dealing with. That if we could go back, if we could go back, and that obstacle, and that temptation, and that trial, 
If we could go back, if the 30-year-old version or the 60-year-old version or the 50-year-old version could go back to the 15-year-old version or the 20-year-old version or the 25 or the 30-year-old version and we could stop them and say, no, it's not worth it. The obstacle is not worth it. The temptation is not worth it. The consequences are not worth it. If you and I could go back, because listen to me, you can't save the young version of you from making the same mistake, but you can save the young version of your children. So that was a hard divorce. Make sure what you showed them is different than what you're telling them. That was a hard addiction to get over. Make sure what you showed them is different than what you told them. It's been a hard life. It's been, it's been very difficult for me to be able to, to, to work hard because, you know, for all these years I've been lazy and I've been about, listen to me, young men, develop a good work ethic. Make sure your children see that. Make, I, I'm so glad with these men that have been working, and, and we've got these work days, but listen, we've got guys that are showing up. We had a group of guys show up at that building to, this morning at 6 a.m. to do some work, to help. And, and my heart breaks, and I think, good night, guys, really, you know. But listen to me. They are making such an impact on their children. When that building is done and their kids get to walk and Brother Joel gets to tell his son, hey, I built this. And Brother Vladi gets to one day tell Matthew, I, I, I worked on this. You know, and different men get to tell their children, hey, I was a part of this. You know what they're doing? They are setting a pattern. They are setting a behavior. They are doing something in the minds of their children that one day those kids will probably repeat. Because if we don't teach them by our actions how to think differently, it's not just that they'll deal with the same culture. It's not just that they'll deal with the same obstacle. It's not just that they'll deal with the same temptation. It's that they will also face the same consequences. That you and I wish we could go back and redo. See, what you showed them, what you showed them will make a greater impact than what you told them. You are either setting up your children for success or you're setting them up for failure. Now, here we see a failure on the part of Abraham, but Abraham wasn't just a failure as a father. He did a great job. In fact, in this same chapter, God kind of redeems him a little bit. He says some positive things about his parenting. You're there in Genesis 26. Look down at verse number 4. I'm going to show you just three passages, and we'll be done. Genesis 26. Look down at verse number 4. Genesis 26 and verse number 4. Notice what he says. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. This is uh, God speaking to Isaac. This is a positive thing. He says, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will Give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Notice verse 5. Because, because, in this chapter we see Isaac have a failure that was inherited and brought down that he picked up from his dad. But here we also see a positive thing that Isaac picked up as a result of his dad. He gets a blessing from God. He gets the covenant of, of the children of Israel. Why? Verse 5. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice. And kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my life, and my and my laws. Look down at verse number twenty-four, same chapter. Verse number twenty-four, same chapter. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night. This is Isaac, and said, "I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee and multiply thy seed. Why? For my servant Abraham's sake." See, you're either setting up your children for success. Or you're setting up your children for failure. Go, go to the book of Psalm. I want to show you a couple of verses in Psalms and, and we'll be done. Psalm, if you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalm. Psalm 16. Look down at verse number 6. Psalm 16 and verse 6. No parent is perfect. Look, we, we all make mistakes. 
But we need to make sure that we are portraying a consistent, listen to me, some of you are going to raise children. See, some of you, some of you are going to be disappointed with your adult children and say, I wish you would go to church. You never go to church. And you're going to be older, and you're going to be telling your kids, would you come to church with me on Mother's Day? Or you're going to be older, and, and you're going to be telling your kids, would you come to church with me on Father's Day? Or you're going to be older, and you're going to be telling your kids, it's Easter, it's Christmas. Won't you come to church? Won't you come to church? Because you'll be disappointed that they never go to church. But here's the thing. They're growing up in a home where you come to church once every six weeks. And what you showed them, what you showed them will make a greater impact than what you told them. You want to know why, even when my wife and I are on vacation, we make a point of going to church somewhere. You want to know why? Because I want to make sure I show my children that the house of God is important. You all know why, even when the finances aren't very good and, and, and we could use the money elsewhere, we make sure to tie to God. You said, do your children see you write the check? I, I don't know what my children see, but I want to make sure that we are setting an example that we put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. See, some, you see, we want our children to do this, and we want our children to do that, but it doesn't match what they see. And what you show them will make a greater impact than what you told them. Some of you will have children who will go off into the world, and you might blame Verity Baptist Church, or you might blame Pastor Jimenez. And you'll say, well, I brought them to that church, and that pastor just couldn't preach it out of them. But what I tell them won't undo what you show them. We want to help you, and we want to stand beside you, and we want to try to help you raise those children, but we can't undo in 30 minutes, in 40 minutes, in 55 minutes, on a Sunday morning every three weeks, what you're showing them all week long. What you showed them. What you showed them will make a greater impact than what you told them. Psalm 16 and verse 6. Notice what the psalmist said. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. You know what my goal is as a father? My wife and I, our goal that we have for our children is that they will grow up in a home where they would look back and say, it wasn't perfect, but I have a goodly heritage. There was mistakes there. There was sin there. They're just people. But I have a goodly heritage. I was shown. I was given an example. Psalm 78, this is the last place we'll look at this morning. Psalm 78, look at verse 5. Psalm 78, verse 5. Psalm 78, verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. Psalm 78, verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. Don't miss that. Which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. Hey, dads, are you making commandments known to your children? Why bring them to church? No, are you, are you, dad, taking responsibility for your children, preaching the Bible, reading the Bible with them to pray? Notice verse 6. That the generations to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Do you notice we just went multi-generational? Do you notice that? The father 
raises their children, that the generations to come might show it to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the words of God, but keep his commandments. Listen to me. You might be here this morning, and you're saying, well, Pastor Jimenez, that's nice for you, and that's great for you, but I don't remember waking up and seeing my dad read, and I don't remember having memories of singing songs in, uh, in our living room with my mom, and I don't have memories of going to church, and I don't have memories of going soul winning. I grew up in a home where the dad was a drunkard, and I grew up in a home where the mom was a drug addict and I grew up in a home where they didn't love God and I grew up in a home where they allowed me to get into whatever and do whatever and I don't have that same goodly heritage but listen to me you can change the legacy right now you can decide right now I'm going to change it I'm going to fix it I will not add the iniquity of my fathers come upon me I can make the change that will affect not only my children but the grandchildren and the great grandchildren for generations to come you can change that legacy right now how do I do that? By what you're showing them. By what they're seeing in you. Because what you showed them will make a greater impact than whatever you told them. Let's bow our heads.